welcome to Genre Stop, the podcast where we read and review contemporary literature on Iranian cinema. Just kidding, genre fiction. You're here with Scott, c'est moi, and my intrepid co-host, Bree, short for Bree Anthony. Hello. Hi, Bree. Hi, Scott. What do, what do we got this week? All right, this week we read City of Bones, so I'll tell you a little bit about it. City of Bones. Actually, I'll tell you a lot about it. Uh, it's hard <laughs> to describe, so fast forward 45 minutes if you want to get to our review of the book. City of Bones is the 2007 urban fantasy novel that kicks off Cassandra Clare's popular YA series, The Mortal Instruments. A disturbing side note before we start this. Ooh. This alleged Cassandra Clare, who's allegedly born in 1973 in Iran. Synergy. Can't be found in any official records. I've looked all types of Google searches, Google population database searches, <laughs> Google Facebook searches. Whoa. Yeah. I also called every prep school on the Upper East Side where <laughs> allegedly she went. I've been having some phone tag with the Iranian government. They're notorious for taking forever to get back to you. A lot of bureaucracy. Well, I approached them with an idea to maybe shoot like a science fiction movie in the 70s. Is this the plot of Argo? What was that? Yeah, so anyway, so you know how hard it is to deal with them, and that's pretty much what I've been doing since our last podcast. But anyway, there's not a trace of Cassandra Clare, so I guess I have to conclude that the totally real-sounding name, Cassandra Clare, (laughs) is some sort of elaborate artificial identity intended to conceal some hard truths, and confound innocent teenage readers. Expose. Yeah, I mean, it sucks because it's hard to be young, to be lied to as a teenager. That's formative. (laughs) Buffy, from this show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, (laughs) she learned this in this super famous episode called Innocence. Like, her boyfriend lies to her about having a soul, which is obviously damaging to the relationship. And then she just looks at this cupcake that has a lit candle in it for a long time, and it's, like, sad because her mom only got her cupcakes, and it's her 17th birthday. What kind of cupcake? I think it had white frosting. I have to go back to just some really seedy times for me, watching Buffy, you know, 14 years old. What was the base? Funfetti. Cake part of Funfetti. Funfetti. Yeah. A little bit of of betrayal. It is. Speaking of betrayal, parents are just, like, really uncool. They just don't understand. (laughs) They're mean. They don't get it. So grown-ups are liars. Is that the end of the show? Okay, no. Um, anyway, yeah, they are. And that's a lesson that the super plausibly named Cassandra Clare has chosen to teach her readers the hard way. Not only in her narrative where Clary learns that her mom was really slutty and... Where who? Clary. Clary? Clary. Okay. But it's kind of the same thing where in The Sound of the Fury, he calls all his characters Falky. <laughs> Obviously, she feels betrayed. She learns that her mom's a total slut and, like, the bride of fantasy Hitler. Um, But beyond Cassandra Clare showing us what the world is like from that, there's also this metafictional feat that will probably haunt me, definitely you, until you die. (laughs) And, you know, that's her very own identity, her name. Clare basically destroys the legacy of her arch nemesis, John Proctor, from the play The Crucible who shouted at the puritanical horde, I've given you my soul, leave me my name. Uh-huh. And basically, the I feel like the... It's a reversal. Yeah, the overarching thing in this is Claire saying, like, no John Proctor, no Salem witches, you know? Yes. Uh, no American children, I'm going to destroy your name too. I'm going to destroy the concept of names themselves, as she did for me. And basically, I'll just dance on the graves of your names before I eat your parents. 
there any part of you that thinks maybe this was just a pen name? What? <laughs> okay, maybe not. Okay, uh, yeah, now that we have that primer on the larger context and implications of the narrative. Primer? Uh, primer? I always thought it was just prim ER, like a hospital drama set in a posh section of <laughs> London. I would watch prim ER. <laughs> we got to get into the details of the story. It opens as Clary, our <laughs> aforementioned heroine, goes to a deeply cool all-ages club where the <laughs> mid-90s high goth aesthetic is still very much alive. Um, so she's with her best friend, Simon, and I just want to dispense of Simon's plot now. Simon is funny <laughs> and smart and nice, and he's in love with Clary. He shows up sometimes, and he acts jealous, and he gives rise to like other way cooler, more magical teenagers. And that's all I remember about Simon. So while at the club, Clary sees some really crazy shit in the storage room. <laughs> there, although there was that, do you hear that liquid ecstasy being passed around the club? There was. I felt like she was kind of misleading me, like opening with yes. liquid ecstasy. Yes. That's, I mean, as, as dangerous as the book got, it, it did so in right? page three. And I liked that. You were a little excited about that, right? The whole rave opening. The whole rave was, opening. Yeah. I just didn't, I didn't see the turn towards the mundane. Oh, fuck the mundanes. We'll get there. Okay. So basically what she sees in the storage room is these three teenagers, all super hot, covered in really sexy tattoos. Uh, they stab this other guy who dissolves or something, melts maybe. Uh, okay, so it turns out demons are real, as are half-demons who are morally ambiguous and show up as different breeds of capital F fae, vampires, werewolves, fairies, selkies, etc. Selkies is a, is a thing? I've heard that word. I've never known. What's a selkie? It's not like there's a... Have you looked into your family tree very much? <laughs> no. But, I mean, you can't just toss out the word selkie next to vampire and werewolf like those are on, like, the same plane of recognition. I think Aguiar taught amongst... us that you're about as familiar with vampires as you are selkies. <laughs> selkies. It's not like a... What's a selkie? I think a selkie is a seal that becomes a hot woman. <laughs> For real? Yeah, yeah. And it has some sort of, like, cultural, like some, cultural like, cachet. Some, like, Scandinavian people, maybe. No idea if selkies come from Scandinavian culture, <laughs> right. by the way. Possibly Caribbean. So a potentially Norwegian, Bayesian mm -hmm. Could be Africa. Could be Africa, could be Japan. Transnational. Transnational Selkies is actually the name of my album. <laughs> it's true. Did that come before On the Road to Damascus? Call back for um, people in the know. Refer back to the end of episode 13. Just refer back there anyway right now. Yeah. This is a good moment to look at that. I mean, we do. We spend a lot of time on these, and so we embed usually four or five things that you can only catch on the third or fourth listen through. So we really encourage our audience to spend five or six days just going through. And if you have like on your app, something that'll take it down to like 0.8 or 0.5 speed. Oh yeah. I'd or really like you guys to. Backwards thing. The backwards thing. Well, mm -hmm. that's where the chants come in more. So yeah. First, I mean, that's next level. But first they should just listen to it maybe slow and a lot. But we're probably being redundant. They're, they're already doing it. Yes. Um, we're at this fucking club. Pandemonium. Okay. It's called Pandemonium. Pandemonium. A little, like... little side note to our viewers. Um, I read this book about a month ago, and Scott read it today. <laughs> so he's going to really, like, lord remembering these details over me. Do you think that she knew when she named the club Pandemonium that it's, it's but the I do main know fairy haunt? That there's a really beautiful poem that describes Hades as being swathed in Pandemonium, which is my favorite use of the word Pandemonium. My favorite use of the word swathed. Yeah? Yeah. Swathed is gross, usually. He's riding a chariot swathed in pandemonium. Swathed or swathed? Swatted. Mm, swatted, yes. Okay. 
Okay, so yeah, it turns out, just as these demons are real, so are demon hunters. Can't have one without the other. Demon hunters come from an invisible European country called Idris. <laughs> Scott, do you have any more geographical information about where Idris is located? No, but they had a star turn in The Wire as Stringer Bell. <laughs> <laughs> he was. That performance oh, God. could be a whole country. <laughs> and when you realize... He was European and from a make-believe country situated between France and Germany. They're all British. Also a big moment for me, fucking Christian Bale's British. That acceptance speech for the fighter, I was blown away. He came out like an actual... McNulty is English Eliza Doolittle's father. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Fucking thanking us all. (laughs) Yeah, McNulty's British and just attractive. I guess so. In that like well-worn, something a little sleazy, but, like, super hot. Yeah. That being said, I was disappointed with the affair. Have you seen it? Is that movie about Selkies? So, yeah, Idris is basically somewhere, maybe by Austria. It's in between France and Germany, they said. Luxembourg? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, these demon hunters... But Idris is, is invisible, right? People can't see it unless they're demon shadow demon hunters. Yeah, she didn't totally flesh out Idris. And I feel like... Oh, book two. Book two. Oh, they're all going to Idris. Right. Jesus. All we got of Idris, though, is like it's full of green valleys. It actually didn't seem like totally industrialized. It doesn't have to be. Well, it does. Like they don't, these people don't have magical powers beyond being able to fight monsters. It's not like they're doing awesome shit aside from that. Oh, so you're saying like economically, like I just, feed, how are you feeding yourself? I just blacked out. Okay. So anyway, yes, away from Idris, the demon hunters. They're different from regular people. They call regular people mundanes. <laughs> Not muggles, mundanes. Because, well, the only way that they're really different is that they know about demons and they have special constitutions that can withstand the constantly tattooing themselves with temporary runes that give them magic fighting capabilities. Story as old as time. <laughs> all right, so Clary eventually learns all this after the club debacle. She gets home to find that her mom has been kidnapped and there's a giant reptile demon in her house. It's hard to be a teenager. So she kills it with the help of Jace. Uh, Oh, Jace is the insouciant leader of the cool kids. He's blonde. He's tall. He's always, like, smirking, you know. Mm. So he takes Clary back, now that her mom's gone, to live in an old church with him and these uh, sexy teenage twins, Isabel and Alec, and a wise old tutor completely seriously named Hodge. So yeah, the rest of the book is their hijinks as they search for Clary's mother, so it kind of has that pastiche of a mystery. Hijinks is a little dismissive of this life and death chase to find out where this woman's, where this girl's mother is. I didn't think she was concerned enough about her mom being gone. She did have a lot of detours towards to restaurants, brunch dates, uh, midnight sex parties. Midnight sex parties? Magnus Baines was a midnight sex party. <laughs> In my summary, they do... Go to this cool party by Mag- Magnus Mangus Bane. So they also fight with vampires, who I thought were super boring in this book. They fight with vampires, they do other shit. So Clary and Jace, believe it or not, fall in love, and they kiss on a rooftop garden. All right, at this point, um, full disclosure. Keep that in mind, because it's about to get fucking disgusting. <laughs> so I barely remember this book. So at this point, <laughs> I have to jump to the important bits. Okay, so to move back, everything that happens hinges on some recent Idrian history. About... <laughs> Did you just make that adjective up? Adrian? Adrian? Idrisian? Idrisian? No, I mean, it's impressive. So about 16 years ago, wink, wink, a dark, charismatic leader rose up in Idris and won many followers with his purity-obsessed, xenophobic ideology 
and his plan to kill all fae, even the nice ones, and force humans into becoming demon hunters, despite the fact that this process will kill most humans when they try to get the tattoos. So no need to really explain his popularity. His name is Valentine, not Voldemort, and he's killed <laughs> in a big battle 16 years ago. So eventually, we learn as they're hunting for the mother that this mother, who's this mysterious artist woman, that back in the day she was evil Valentine's bride. And when she was his bride, he was going crazy and he was devising this special plan and it, it was very important that he get this super special cup that people can drink and become demon hunters but probably die. So eventually, Clary and co. find this dangerous cup and there's this really convoluted revelation about Clary being able to pull real objects out of her drawings. She has runic powers. She's mastered the runes. We're going to talk about how you've had a total conversion and actually love genre fiction now. Are we? <laughs> we are. Uh, you must be talking to a different Scott. Well, you seem to understand your magic pretty well. So yeah, anyway, they show the cup to Hodge, and he betrays them because Hodge is uh, under this spell because he was a Valentine supporter back in the day. He's housebound, cursed to be housebound to this really awesome mansion. So when Hodge gets the cup, he calls Valentine into the room. Apparently Valentine's been alive all along. What the fuck? I didn't see that coming. And Wait, the whole, the whole thing starts with him saying Valentine's back. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was like the running joke of the book. I mean... Just like you always say, like, Stalin's back. <laughs> no, I think you're right, though. Like, in books like these, like, kind of formulate genre fiction, when they telegraph something like that, it usually means you can dismiss it. Okay, so yeah, he gets Valentine back and he says, here's the cup and I'll give you my freedom from this housebound curse. So Valentine takes the cup and takes Jace. And then I just want to move, final showdown. Um, it's at Valentine headquarters. And you just we, skipped like 300 pages. I just, I have to. So we find out that Valentine is the father of both Clary and Jace, which is super hot Ew. and throws the sexiest wrench in their love story ever. <laughs> I like, I, you know, I mean, spoiler alert. Doesn't totally ruin things for her. Not at all, no. I would say. In a way that I actually respect a little bit, and I hope that Cassandra Clare, nay Cassandra Clare, <laughs> I hope she goes there with the incest thing. You know, I mean, there are, I don't want her to fucking back out of it. There are a lot of things I very cautiously admire with this. We can get to that. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so their brother and sister. There's this big moment where she's like, "Is Jace gonna choose her or this father that he has always wanted or whatever?" Uh, he chooses her. And the book ends in what is easily the most embarrassing scene in the book, with uh, these comely siblings just taking off into the sunset on a flying motorcycle. <laughs> I mean, my thought was, you know that old saying, if you introduce a flying zombie bio bike in the first act, <laughs> you better fly in the third. Um, I hated that bike. That bike, <laughs> it just hurt me. It hurt me that it was there. I don't think there are really any thematic concerns to speak of in this book, unless we count <laughs> Harry Potter's plot. As a theme. Despite that, I can't wait to catalog our favorite scenes. This is our first, like, out-and-out -out YA book. So, Scott, tell me some of your thoughts about the YA genre. Have you ever read any other than Cold Magic, which apparently wasn't supposed to be? And anyway, any thoughts you had about it? I'm sure you really admire it. Uh, were they, like, challenged or reinforced by City of Bones? I, I'm sure I've read YA books when I was YA. I loved Benicula. That when says I was it all. You read Benicula? Yeah, the bat that's like a vampire gets goosebumps book or something, right? It's not a bat. It's a rabbit. It's a it's rabbit. A vampire rabbit. Oh my god, I forgot about it. I bet that... It sucks all the juice out of carrots. Deep in my limbic system, the whole attraction to vampires makes sense now. You, you were into rabbits? I'm not, not into rabbits. <laughs> no, but it was great. And I think I read it at an age-appropriate time. 
24. Yeah, I mean, okay, so ultimately I appreciated what this did for me in terms of YA books. A kind of recurring theme in our discussion has been, was this YA? Was it not YA? Did this read YA? And I now pretty definitively realize that Robin Hobb, for example, is not YA. Mm -hmm. This is YA. It's the difference between, like, playing paintball and being in Fallujah. And I realized that I was confusing stylistic deficiencies. I don't know. Or maybe just like heavy formula. I don't think formula. I mean, I've, I've read mysteries that didn't seem YA, and those are about as okay, paint yeah, by numbers yeah. as you can get. I was mistaking style with content. And not even, it's like taking Robin Hobb again, which mm-hmm. is like set with a kid. But something about the possibilities of the world, even if they're not explored, or the possibilities of action for character that seemed more expansive and that could inhabit a non-YA world. These characters and the world and the villains seemed like it was circumscribed pretty concretely by the parameters of a YA universe. And so it really felt to me much more like I was in a YA world, right? I mean, yeah, sure, the liquid ecstasy, whatever that is. But... Only the coolest drug in town. (laughs) Apparently. And I guess there was like... Something about sex every now and then. But still, these, this seemed very much like a vision of teenagers acting like a vision of teenagers, how they would respond in this world. In that way, I appreciated it because I got to see, like, hey, this is like a YA book, and here's what mm-hmm. this is doing, and this is how it's different and than all it- these other books. And did it reinforce? Kind of. Or it's nice. If I'm doing a check-in from when we started on, like, hey... Thoughts on genre? Is anything solidified? Da 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 da. I could say maybe yeah, and then I think I don't like YA. Like I can say that pretty conclusively. I started a month and a half ago. It was tough, and then I read, read the three hundred remaining pages this afternoon. Okay, yeah. So you don't it's like. Just, YA. I just couldn't go back to it. Like, do you think that this would be a good book for a thirteen-year-old to read? Like, do you not like YA when adults read it, or do you think YA is bad in general? I mean, and children if I'm should being... learn to read with other books. If I'm being ungenerous, like those spate of articles that come out every year where someone bemoans YA's like intrusion into adult reading habits, and then like the weight of like the internet world comes down upon them for being elitist and da 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 da, kind of in line with like music's optimist moment or whatever. Yeah, so if I'm being kind of ungenerous, I can get on board with that, whatever. But there's no need to, like, bemoan other people's reading habits. Mm-hmm. So I, nothing prescriptive I'm saying about what people should or shouldn't read. Or even when they're teens. So, okay, could a 13-year-old read this? I mean, I, th- I feel like it's written for a 15-year-old. I don't know. Whatever <laughs> difference that means. Okay, yeah, I just meant, like, a teenager. Sure, I think a teen would love this. But I feel like even, like, a smart teen would read through this. Like, roll their eyes a little? I don't know. I mean, I, I had a section in my notes labeled bad teen talk. Okay, but I agree there's a lot of bad teen talk, but I feel like one of the nice things for the writers of YA fiction is that it's, you know, a built-in justification. Like, of course the dialogue is awkward and riddled with cliches. You know, when she actually says, like, I like my coffee black like my soul. And that's something <laughs> that was just like, yes, go to the publishers. Right. Well, that's but, like faux teen existentialism. That's like older people thinking that teens are... A certain segment of, of like, moody teens are... Sure, if you want to be ungenerous, or it's someone actually saying that, like, all teens do, basically, is, like, ape 
the speech and the stuff that they see in media and adults and the stuff that they consume. So, right. of course, that's going to be like regurgitated, whatever. That's a good garbage. point. That's a good point. My thought was more like when they're talking about why Simon won't like get a girlfriend. He's like, all my friends say I should just find the girl with the most rockin' bod and like date her. I mean, that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone was talking like that when they were 16. What are your thoughts on why? Or how did this fit into your conception? Okay, yeah. Um, I'm not going to label myself either, well, for self-respect reasons, but also in general as like a diehard YA reader. I've never read a YA book that wasn't fantasy to some extent. I know there are a lot of the whole like, what's his name, John Green? Is that his name? The Fault in Our Stars guy and Rainbow Rowell. And apparently there's a lot of really good like non-fantasy YA out there that I've never read and I'm not interested in reading it. But I have read like YA fantasy I think that something this book did for me that I enjoyed, because I haven't read any of it in a long time, and it showed me that like things that could be described as criticisms against YA are true in both good and bad YA books. And that's like the, the one-dimensionality of the story, you know, like no extra multi-layered meaning or anything, uh, the like paper-thin characterization and the like predictability of the plot. I think that's there in like good and bad YA. For instance, a popular series that is YA, and I really love, is Vampire Academy. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, like, all five books are so, like, the world building, the, it's great, it's propulsive. But all those things that I just said apply to Vampire Academy. You can be those things, and you can still be good at what you're doing. But I think maybe the difference that I noticed in this book is, like, I feel like good YA, you're most interested in the character, like, the teenage characters. They do seem like the most interesting people in the story. But this book... Uh, like any time an adult, like her mom's friend would come in and start talking, it would, it would be like a relief to me. And I would actually feel like that, uh. and when it went back to the teenager's voice, I'd be like, oh, fuck. You know, like I would way rather be like in the adult world, like her mom. Although actually, as I say, this is like a grossly middle-aged <laughs> Diane Lane under the Tuscan sun thing to say. So good. Um, yeah, famous YA movie. <laughs> but like Clary's mom seemed a lot more interesting than Clary. Would you say something that maybe differentiates YA books from books with like young characters, and again, using Robin Hobb as maybe an example, mm -hmm. is that the young people there are the focus in the narrative and structurally, but you understand how they're operating within a larger adult world, and you understand that they're not the center of the, of the novel's world. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, like it actually is teens spearheading the fight against Voldemort. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And, like, at no point is there a question that teens aren't going to be the ones that are fighting demons and being the heroes. And I think that's the thing, that it's never a question. Like, in Harry Potter, which probably some people have read, you know, like, it is children and teens, like, spearheading this fight, but it's constantly mentioned by other characters. Like, you say oh, this probably people have read. I, could you explain this novel to me? So, yeah, basically, like, there's an awareness, even if the teenagers are the main characters, that, like, it's by some crazy fucking twist of fate that they right. are and this book is just like of course I'm yeah I'm 16 I'm Jace so yeah this book was definitely YA it didn't make me want to read more YA really the problems in the dialogue with the teenagers can be justified through the fact that it's YA but some of the writing is like actually almost admirably to me like hilariously lazy mm -hmm. like at one point she enters a weapons room and she's like it looked exactly the way a room called Weapons Room would look. <laughs> like, I have a weapons room in my house, <laughs> yeah, and I'm just drawing that knowledge. Certain things that I hated about the book, I think, are just YA shit. The flying motorcycle hurt my heart. 
I like it's that. It's just so cheesy. And also, I hate <laughs> motorcycles, and I think they should be illegal. I don't take many moral stands, but I really think motorcycles should be illegal. Not in Idris, but here. Right, right. No, this is a really good point. Speak on that a little bit. Um, they're dangerous. They're unsightly. They're loud. And okay, I okay. don't like motorcycle, motorcycle subculture. Mm, right, right. Um, and I remember I really that horrible them. shooting in Texas. There have been biker gangs. Do you know about biker gangs? I do, I do. That woman, that musician, uh, just came out that she was raped by a biker gang. Wow. Speak on that. Um, she's like a I mean, 50, maybe 55 woman. You know, it was kind of controversial. <laughs> you fucking know it. Thank you. This has been Bree's Issue Hour. <laughs> I'm Scott, your host. Next week, Bree on the Syrian refugee crisis. And it's intersections with biker gangs. And YA. And so, YA. There's a lot of children in those pictures. Exactly. Okay, now I understand that about the, the uh, flying bikes. It seemed like she used the biker, I mean, not as just like a nice deus ex machina to get them out of trouble, although they were that at times, but also a vehicle to showcase the city. This is very clearly set in New York City. Yeah. Is that, so, so is this what people... The kids are calling urban fantasy. Is that is this an example of that? God, you must be hanging out with really smart kids. The well, kids I hang out with call it like city books. You know, I don't know what they say once they put that liquid E in your mouth. You just, <laughs> you just go. Wherever the convo turns, you just follow it. I forgot how big your weekend was. Exactly. Pandemonium's um, not the easiest to get into, Brie. I think urban fantasy is lots of times in cities, but shit that's not in a city counts as urban fantasy to me. The Sookie Stackhouse novels are urban So does it mean contemporary fantasy? Yeah, definitely. You sure? Although, no, I'm not sure. All right. (laughs) I might. Are you going to kick me off the podcast? I did find all the New York and specifically Brooklyn stuff a little silly to me just because whatever, you know, like cultural moment thing has been happening in Brooklyn for a while, Mm. it's not 15-year-olds. So it just felt like, we're like, why am I setting it there? I'm not actually getting anything. You're not at like... Lena Dunham's house party. Well, this brings me to my main point. I think this is actually a... This book's all about gentrification. It's the hidden... I thought it was about women's right to vote. <laughs> no, all that too. It's the hidden narrative. I mean, this is a really complex look. At kind of like the intersections of class, race... Not race. Species. No, yeah. Species. Oh, there are no non-white characters. Right? Downworlders. Magnus is Asian. Oh, yeah, yeah, he is. He's Asian and gay, so he kind of represents a lot in the story. Double whammy. Double whammy is like a slur. Also, I, I, my favorite part was the recurring Jewish element. You know, night notes about Simon's mom being on J-Date. Oh, I yeah. About that. I noted that, too. Jokes about Jewish vampires. I was having a great time. Yeah, I will say, like, some of Simon's jokes I thought were funny. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, but do you remember at one point he was describing... Um, like how like badasses talk to each other and like the less you say the better so that like if he sees Jace he can't be like hey how are you because that means like he's not a badass he just like real true badasses just see each other and like not and and then the joke came after that no I guess I just (laughs) thought it was like a kind of cutting insight oh nice okay (laughs) that's true no but they're actually take that cool kids there was one joke in this that was funny and it belonged to Jace He's talking to Clary. I guess I like this joke because Clary was like so bland and boring and dense that I was really frustrated by her. And then at one point, Jace says the truly hilarious line, if there was such a thing as terminal literalism, you'd have died of it. Jace is beautiful. (laughs) My favorite joke, 
I guess my favorite line of the book, not necessarily intentional, when they go to that big party at Magnus's and they're all walking in. You're pretty stuck on that party. Is that the only <laughs> scene you read? No, but it stuck with me. And, and Clary's looking out over the crowd at all like the party goers. And then she says, The center of the room was packed with bodies dancing to the pounding beat that bounced off the walls, although Clary couldn't see a band anywhere. <laughs> the true magic of the story. Oh, Clary. An iPod? <laughs> Clary, completely unaware of speakers. <laughs> Where's the band? How'd that room get so cool anyway? It was exactly. so hot outside. Exactly. <laughs> but I will say, like, I'm making fun of this book, and I want to be honest about Are this. Are you? I mean, I kind of am, or like, I'm not. This book let me down. I was fucking into this book for a while. Not because the book was good, but because that blueprint thing I mentioned in a previous show that... Sometimes these books become blueprints for daydreams. I aged up all the characters. I blurred the lines a little bit. And some of the scenes did feel like a embarrassing, like, personal fantasy wish fulfillment for me. Like, there was this one scene where Clary comes down the stairs. It's when she's going to go to the party. And she's wearing a black dress and black fishnet. Wait, we tights. have to talk about that scene. I wrote it down. I said, ask Brie about the getting dressed scene. Holy shit. Okay, but after she gets dressed from, like, super hot Megan Fox's Isabella's wardrobe. So she comes down. First of all, like, I still like to wear fishnets sometimes, but I'm embarrassed. But I still like to wear them in, like, a black dress, and she's wearing boots. And Jace comes up to her, lovely golden Jace. And first of all, he gives her a ruby dagger, which is just a great start to a date. And then he, like, reaches back and unpins her hair. Or he's like, one more thing. And he unpins her hair and lets it fall. And he's like, now you're ready. You don't understand being a 14-year-old girl like I do and always will. Yeah, yes, I do. <laughs> and basically, I don't read like, all those blogs. <laughs> every time I come out, I want someone to give me a ruby dagger and take my hair down and say, <laughs> now I'm perfect. Okay, so that gets into the bigger question then. So, ultimately, you chose this. You obviously didn't want to get something, like, transcendent out of it. You wanted a, a fun YA book that you could get Escapist. into. Escapist. Escapist. Yeah. You gave us a little hint of that when you said it hit some of those beats and then lost you at the end. So your broader thought. So how did this do from what you wanted? This has kind of been a pattern, but first third of this book, I was into it, didn't care how YA it was, wanted it to happen. Things got real fucking boring in the middle, and by the end I was just disappointed because the love story didn't suck me out of my existence the way that I wanted it to. So do you go to YA for love stories? I mean, it's hard to say because, like I said, I've only read fantasy YA, so I guess no, from the stuff I read, it's not always that. Sometimes it is, like... The purity of, like, young children up against immense evil. Oh, Valentine's got a spot for you on his squad if you like purity. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Valentine's not the worst guy. Well, I mean, okay, so I kind of talked about things I cautiously admired. And now that I look back on it, I do not know how much this is conscious on her part. And if she even knew that she was necessarily doing this, I mean, maybe. And it seems like she couldn't have if she actually thought that she'd made all of her main characters sympathetic to the genocidal maniac like it's not just that they'd left him but they were there when the genocide was like in planning stages oh which doesn't like like, her mom yeah her mom's best friend it doesn't absolve them that like when shit hit the fan they're like oh uh, i'm right i'm getting out of here they are all like nazis in 1960 but i exactly and it wasn't complicated that much i kind of liked that i think that's interesting i think that the things that i liked about the book were um Ultimately unfulfilled, but I liked the world she built. I liked the demon hunter shit, didn't mind the tattoo shit, liked all the fairies, liked the explanation that fairies are half demons. 
I think that works for me and like what I already understand about Faye. Sorry, I shouldn't have been saying fairies. I don't want to confuse you further. I liked like the main beats it hit. Mm -hmm. And I fucking loved that they were siblings. Whoa. I mean, uh, when I yeah. felt that coming, I thought she's not going to go there because this book has proven to me that like it's so safe basically this world and like it's sexuality is so uncomplicated and just like oh I want him to kiss me but then to actually make them real brother and sister was I mean and not even like half brother and sister they're full siblings I feel like there might be room next book or next book after that to realize that like it's not true or her mom had an affair or something right, right. it was her half brother I get that but we're not talking about the second book it's true I'm talking about this book in which yeah. The lovers found out that they were siblings, and I was totally happy about that. <sighs> I didn't see it coming either. Isn't that kind of the plot of Star Wars? Like, we had the initial hit where, like... I haven't heard of You realize... <laughs> well, it's like this old, really popular documentary about Heidegger. <laughs> um, no, no, but isn't that like... Sure, I mean, I'm not saying in any way that this is an original plot. <laughs> As I already said... I feel like this is the first work of literature to deal with incest. Ever? Mm-hmm. It's a very Oedipal thing to do. I don't know where that word comes from, but I feel like this is the first it means fiction to deal it. with Oedipal. Yes, yeah. things. Right, yeah. right. Sure. That's in Star Wars, um, the Heidegger film. But, like, if, you know, if we're going to blame this book from taking a shit from something, Harry Potter's pretty successful. How the fuck do you name non-magic people Mundies? Muggles, Mundies. Mm. I just couldn't even get over that. Also, even if we set aside how obviously copying that is... Mundies isn't the worst word for non-magical people, which they only use like twice. Mundanes is terrible. Mundanes like the mundanes. Bad. Yeah. Ugh. I'm with you. I feel like that in itself is reason to condemn the work as a whole. Alec. <laughs> the deeply closeted, self-hating gay yes. kid in this. He is. Um, Although the end, he's been with Magnus. There was some statutory rape with Magnus. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that was weird. The book, I think, presented it to us. The fact that this, like, 40-year-old warlock was, like, coming on to a 16-year-old boy is like, look how sweet it is. He's found his community. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Rather than, like, ah. <laughs> well, I mean, once you got, like, brother and sister fucking each other, anything yeah. goes. Yeah, I guess, you know, underneath the, uh, the layers, there's some interesting stuff going on here. No, I know what you mean, and that, like, when we were talking about what is YA about it, it's not that there's not, like, sex and danger there. Like, there is threat and there are nuanced sexualities and stuff like that, I mean, in a YA way, but it's something else. I feel like it's that stuff we were talking about before. So it's, it's not content that makes YA. It's, like, the scope, I guess. Oh, you're coming around to my theory. As we said, I had to read quite a bit of this in the last 24 hours <laughs> in order to do this because I stalled after the first, the first go. It's kind of hard to motivate myself to get back into it. And I've really considered secretly watching the movie, as we know there is one, and trying to pass that off as reading it. I can't wait to watch the movie. We're going to watch it, right? Should we do like a, another podcast? Like oh, episode yeah. Episode 14B, the movie. But also, uh, we mentioned it. So yeah, first of all, yes to that. It'll be up in uh, like two hours. <laughs> Let's cast this movie. Got it. Yeah. That's good. Our other segments are on their last legs. Yeah, I'm excited about this because, like, I watch so much more ABC Family than I read books <laughs> <laughs> that I just, like, can easily cast things right. with people from Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> so good. What's that? All right. Oh, I, I wish I could say what's that. Well, let me hear. Okay. this is, And we'll see if it matches up to the actual cast. 
once we watch the movie. Yeah. So this is Should ideal I go cast. first? I'm going to go first. I want to hear. Oh, wait. So, okay. Okay, okay. So let's go. Who are you casting as Jace? Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Rat, Interesting. Yeah. yeah, totally. Just chose him. Oh, he was in uh, Woman in Black. Yeah, That's he was in that. It's a pretty and good e- movie. I, th- I think I saw him on Broadway. Equius. You saw his penis. <laughs> I was on Google. Okay. <laughs> and who are you casting as Clary? Oh, that was really hard, but like Emma Watson. Emma Watson. I don't know her. Yeah. Basically her and then um, Hodge is going to be Alan Rickman. Valentine is going to be the dead Dumbledore. And on down the line. Just kidding. That's the cast of Harry Potter. I actually know who I would. All right. Jace, when I aged this person up in my head and tried to make him into my romantic lover for a while. Mm-hmm. Imaginary lover. Um, I, I can't. I, thinking of your attractions and such, I can't see you being into Jace as presented in the novel. Kind of like a cocksure, spiky-haired, like, not until brooding... You, not until you give him an accent. Lots of times I give characters accents to make them hotter. Is this Michael Fassbender? No, Michael Fassbender plays every other character. It's Joseph Morgan. Who? Who is a British actor who is on a television show called The Vampire Diaries and plays a vampire named Klaus. Oh, Jesus. He has an accent, he's blonde, and he also has that kind of, you know, devil-may-care, sexy, whatever... So once I made him Jace. Jace and made Clary me. Can I just say, Jace, about 100 pages before we learned that Jace is Clary's sister, we learned that Clary had a brother that supposedly died and presented his name was Jason Christopher. And right when they named him Jason Christopher and when I went through the pains of like writing that, how awkwardly it must have been to include Jason Christopher in the narrative... <laughs> I'm like, something's up with Jason Christopher. It's true. I knew there was something up the whole time, but I didn't think they were really, really going to be siblings. So I'm not going to totally let you criticize her on Jason Christopher. Hey, you take Old Boy, you take Harry Potter, you take Star Wars, put it in a blender. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Joseph Morgan, me or Jessica Chastain is Clary. Um, <laughs> Hodge is obviously Tim Gunn. And Valentine's <laughs> Tilda Swinton. There's my cast. Tim Gunn wouldn't betray anyone. But exactly, and that's why the turn would be so great. Who's I, I also love this stand for Tim Gunn you just took. Hey, I'm just being like an actual impartial observer. All right, how about you? I'm going to see your movie. Don't say Jonathan Lipnicki. I'm not. I thought about this a lot. And I don't know, I just went with the first thing that came to me. So, Jace. Jason Alexander. <laughs> Wait, the Seinfeld guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on. Simon, Simon Cowell. I don't know, I just let the muse talk to me. I don't know how. Valentine, Val Kilmer. Actually, Val Kilmer would not be a bad Valentine. Isabel, a young Isabella Rossellini. <laughs> Clary, Margot Kidder. I want to see my movie more. Why? Do you hear my Tilda Swinton thing? She didn't say anything about Tilda Swinton. I said she was Valentine. You weren't listening. Oh, shit, I didn't. That's really actually offensive to Tilda Swinton. How? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry she doesn't fit or conform to normal Hollywood beauty standards, Brie. But you can't make her actually play a man just because she has masculine features. I'm pretty sure she's played a man before. Oh, she has? I don't know. You're thinking of Boys Don't Cry. No, no, no. I'm thinking that of was the J- Kevin movie. We need to talk about Kevin. She played the son she and the mother, Kevin. right? <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway, sorry, Tilda Swinton. Yeah. I'm going to see Only Lovers Left Alive in no time. I've wanted to see that movie for so long, and it, it hurts me that I'm going to watch City of Bones before it. Are you going to read the second one? Or are you, would you be interested in reading... City of Ashes. Yeah, I know what it's called, Brie. Yeah, no. I mean, and kind of part of that is that 
I was disappointed by this book. I didn't love it. Um, but also I saw that there, there are a lot of them. It's yeah. not just like three or five. They're, or seven or 14. Or I mean, three or five are like round numbers. Like I understood. Uh, so seeing that there are so many books makes me feel like, no, I don't care. And also I just don't care. I haven't thought about this book since I read it and I read it a long time ago. I thought about it nonstop since I read it. 30 minutes ago. Right. Let's do our final ratings wrap up. So my concluding thoughts, I mean, there's something embarrassing about the book, and that might be that it's YA or that it's urban fantasy or a mixture of the two. I'm a little embarrassed. But with a lot of it, I was there. I was there because I liked the world it built, and I was there just because, like, these are beats that I like to hit, and it makes me happy to hit them. Um, but ultimately, I feel like she had that form, you know, that formula, and she made a cool world, and then it totally, it totally fell flat. It disappointed me. Um, but I didn't have a hard time reading it. I'm giving this book a five. Mm. What? I gave Aguiar an eight. And you know, I really loved Aguiar. You know, Martian was in the negatives and then Cold Magic. City of Bones, I knew Aguiar. And you are no Aguiar. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I thought this was better than Cold Magic. Uh, so I'm putting it above Cold <clears throat> Magic and I'm putting it below most of the other shit. How about you? I think, I think it's so funny when books start with quotes from Shakespeare. Because, <laughs> like, Why? Yeah, I agree. I think when books, especially like YA or fantasy books, do this with Shakespeare, it's less to make their their work seem more official, and it's more that the person just genuinely believes that Shakespeare is an arbiter of eternal truths. So you gave this ten magical cups. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I have to be. Below God knows you. how much of this book you read. It's hard. I have. You read the party. We're Listen, sure of that. There's a website. I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to give its name out, but I need to thank it and send it an email. <laughs> for some really great and intermittently funny chapter summaries. <laughs> it did a great job. Um, but I read a lot of it. I, I guess I, it can't be... What did I enjoy in this? Oh, I guess I gave it a four. Okay, yeah. I guess we haven't talked about the writing. And I didn't feel that the writing was horrible. I feel like knowing that it was YA, feeling that it was doing what I thought YA writing might do. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the other books that we've given really low scores to a kind of insufferable prose style was part of that low score. So that wasn't really here. You mean like really flowery? Or no, I wouldn't call it the Martian flowery. Oh, the Martian. Okay, I guess I was thinking more of like Robin Hobb. Yeah, Robin Hobb just even seemed, was that flowery? It just seemed like a mess. Yeah, yeah I mean, there there was something sort of more pared down about her language, but I also think behind cold magic i think that's actually just something about urban fantasy that i like right like right. all of it wants to reach this tone of like here we are in the city like you know like lights are going on and right it's like tokyo like, but the not. Lights. like what yeah. are the, why <laughs> so are these lights going on What's... i know what you mean about the writing except yeah the writing was passable but some of it i kind of hate the whole like show don't tell thing in writing because right. sometimes like fucking tell me i prefer it you oh, know totally. don't leave yeah, me through yeah, it yeah. but then and it's the, hard when the show is actually just like dialogue yeah yeah yeah. you know you're not really showing or like yeah totally so but then the ending segment of this book it the whole inside about the fact that you know she's on the fucking motorcycle and she's looking down at the world and she realizes that it's not the world that's changed but her and the writer like says that it's kind of great not to mention yeah the world changed demons are real your dad's voldemort you're about to have sex with your brother like it's not actually you this is not a personal transformation that's a good point. I mean, so I guess I'll stick with four. 
Although there's something about the YA-ness that is just a barrier to complete entry for me. And as if we need any overt signal, hey, this is YA. I like how abrupt the actual statement of what the book is and might mean to an actual kid is on 231. Apropos of nothing, we have like a disquisition on what it means to be a teenager. So I think this is the section where kids are supposed to identify. And Magnus, interesting, the talk about teenagerdom put in the mouth of... And Magnus seemed like 50 to me. <laughs> um, he says, Clary's scared because she feels like there was something missing with her, or something's wrong with her, or that she's been missing or damaged. And Magnus says, no one damaged you. Every teenager in the world feels like that, feels broken or out of place, different somehow. Royalty mistakenly born into a family of peasants. The difference in your case is that it's true. You are different. Maybe not better, but different. And it's no picnic being different. So... I mean, you're right about... I, yeah, I remember that section now, and I did think, like, hilarious meta-comment on, like, YA paranormal romance oh, yeah. in general. Exactly. Which is, like, the actual thing is, like, yeah, we all want to be special, but you really are. But you really are special. Yeah. So... I mean, that's true. I'm not sure I'd call that, like, a triumph of the writing, but... I'm not saying... No, no, no. I'm saying the exact opposite. I'm thinking of, like... I admire how upfront this is, and it's saying, here's the part where I throw into this mm-hmm. story like it's lesson for children, or I guess teens. It's true, but whatever I mean, kids are. Even if you take away how sort of like obvious and sometimes just like really fucking spelled out for you a lot of the shit is, the story felt really limp to me mm. at times. Yeah, like a like limp dick. Yeah, a lot like a penis that like <laughs> can't stay hard. Right. You know, that's not good with like penises or stories. No. A lot of times incest will do that. Or like the threat of incest. Oh my god, it does the opposite for me, right? Placidify things. Have you seen my sister? <laughs> City of Bones. Like City of Stairs, but only from the title. Join us next week when we're reading Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Whoa. It's this new book that came out last week. <laughs> yeah, and on the way out I should mention that there was one line in this book that I liked, and it said, Hodge watched her with a bird's bright-eyed stillness. And I've seen birds do that. <laughs> Be bright-eyed and still? What's your favorite bird? Have you ever, has falconing ever intrigued you? Uh, yeah. Why? What's the future king? There we go. Mm-hmm.